Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 58. In today's episode, I'll be discussing new remedies for seizures in dogs, what you need to know about the newest FDA recall of pet food, and then lastly, we'll conclude with a discussion on the concerns about pugs. Now Veterinary Secrets is also on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. You can download the Stitcher app and search for Veterinary Secrets or go to stitcher.com forward slash podcast forward slash veterinary dash secrets. I would sure appreciate it if you'd subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. Questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. That's where I put up every podcast. And lastly, you can send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Now let's get right into today's podcast. Seizures in dogs, the five most important natural remedies. If your dog has epilepsy, then you should really be looking at some of the alternative remedies for treating seizures. Conventional treatment typically consists of two veterinary drugs, phenobarbital and potassium bromide, which both have numerous side effects. In this podcast, we're going to be covering some of the types of seizures in dogs, the causes, and some of the more important natural remedies, including some of the newer ones that I'd be focusing on if I had a dog that was seizuring. A seizure is defined as abnormal muscle activity as a result of uncontrolled messages coming from the brain. There is a sudden brief change in how your dog's brain is working. When the brain cells are not working properly, your dog has the physical changes called a seizure. Dog seizures are classified as either grand mal seizures or localized. Grand mal seizures affect your dog's entire body. Generally, the legs are extended and paddling. The head is rigid and extended. They may go through cycles of being stiff and relaxed. Some dogs may lose bowel and bladder control. If the seizure occurs at night, this is all you may see in the morning. Localized seizures affect only certain areas of your dog's body. Typically, you may see it with their head shaking or their jaw chattering. In the majority of cases, the cause of the seizure is unknown, and then it is called epilepsy. Some of the other possible causes of seizures include cancer, such as a brain tumor, infections, brain trauma, poisoning, such as lead poisoning, low blood sugar, hypothyroidism. Your veterinarian can discuss a variety of diagnostic tests such as blood work, x-ray, CT scans, MRIs, even a spinal fluid tap. The age at which the seizure starts will usually give you a fairly good idea as to the underlying cause. For dogs less than a year of age, most are caused by brain infections such as meningitis. Some dogs though will develop epilepsy as puppies. For pets between the ages of one to five, the most common diagnosis and seizure causes epilepsy. If your dog has his first seizure over the age of five, typically he's over the age of seven, then one of the more common causes or things we'd be concerned about would be a brain tumor. There are reports that show a link between diet and seizures in dogs. One human study showed a marked reduction in seizure activity when patients were on the Atkins diet. And my personal belief is that every animal that is seizuring should at least be tried on a commercial hypoallergenic diet for 12 weeks. Many alternative practitioners are strongly advising a specific holistic type diet that is naturally preserved, free of grains, and primary animal protein. There is a new type of seizure diet developed by Purina called NeuroCare. It's a diet that's rich in MCTs or medium chain triglycerides which can help control seizures in dogs with idiopathic epilepsy. The MCT oil itself is derived from coconut oil, 
um, as we're looking at a natural specific product and we're seeing some really, really good results in people. Um, and secondary, it's being transferred in through to dogs. There is no standard MCT oil dose, but if you extrapolate it back from the human dose, it'd be about one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. I would start with half that amount as it can lead to diarrhea and then work your way up. For instance, many of the adults that are having seizures and are being controlled with MCT oil on doses of up to four tablespoons twice a day. The thought is that primarily is how this working is it putting your dog and people into more ketogenic state. So what happens is fat is used as the primary energy source, this MCT oil, um, which is then converted into ketones. And these can do a really good job of suppressing abnormal brain activity. Medical marijuana, primarily CBD oil, so CBD it's an has a really important role in the future of medicine, no question veterinary medicine. You know, it's the, it's the primary component of the cannabis plant, but it's the non-psychoactive portion. I've discussed this uh, at length in a number of the different podcasts. The big thing about CBD is that it's been shown to inhibit both seizure activity and the severity of such seizures. Studies have pointed to CBD being of a huge potential therapeutic use in the treatment of epilepsy. So currently right now, there's a really big study going on uh, with Colorado State University, CSU, and they're looking at, you know, they're treating dogs out of epilepsy um, with CBD and to date, they're getting some pretty positive uh, benefits coming out of it. Looking at sort of standard doses, I would consider starting at a standard dose of about one milligram of CBD oil per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. So you just need to look at the how many drops, of, if you're looking at a tincture, how many drops of the CBD oil contain how many milligrams of CBD to calculate that dose. So my little dog Tula, you know, she's 20 pounds. I would be giving her two milligrams twice a day. The CBD I have, it's about five drops per one milligram, so she'd be getting 10 drops twice a day. So you just need to know all that to cal calculate an adequate dose. The third thing to consider for seizures is acupressure. I've discussed this in the past. Um, no question, a number of different uh, veterinary patients have seen really good results with acupuncture. And if you have access to a, a veterinary acupuncturist, then by all means, see an acupuncturist. But that, if that's not an option for you, consider acupressure. GB26, no question, is probably the e most important point to hit. And it's the easiest one. It, so just below, if you're looking at your dog straight on, just below his nostrils, there's a little sort of indentation right there, right above his you know, upper lip, below his nostrils. You can just hold that point with moderate pressure for 30 to 60 seconds. Some people find that will help bring their dog out of a seizure, but a second option would be to maybe help sort of normalize that abnormal brain activity. So just, you know, do that for 30 seconds, twice a day. Do it for an, a month, see if there's any benefit or not. It may not help, at the very, very least it's not gonna do any harm, but it may help, so why not try it? Fourth thing to consider is essential fatty acids. No question, I mean, these have an array of different therapeutic benefits. One of them may be to potentially decrease brain inflammation. But here though, you wanna have a high enough dose and therapeutic levels of the EFAs. So the dose being 1,000 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. You know, that would equate to about one tablespoon of flax oil per 50 pounds of body weight daily. Then the last one I wanna discuss uh, is, a, is a supplement called Collidine. Um, it's being used primarily for senior dogs. There's an array of different, you know, potential uses such as supporting the liver, potentially being beneficial for arthritis. But it's in part derived from a neurotransmitter called choline. It helps make this nerve chemical called acetylcholine. It can be given with conventional medications. It can be given with potassium bromide. It can, it can be given with phenobarbital. Um, it's fairly safe, no question, it won't, it's not going to do any harm, and some veterinary patients are finding it to be helpful. When you're looking at cholidine doses, you're looking at about one tablet per 20 pounds of body weight daily, you know, so a dog like little Tula should be getting one of those tablets a day. And it's something, once again, you could try it for four to six weeks, 
see at least if it's going to benefit your dog or not. The second part of today's podcast, uh, the FDA alerting pet owners about potentially toxic levels of vitamin D and several dry pet foods. So this specifically comes from the FDA and here's what you need to know. The FDA is alerting pet owners and veterinary professionals about recalls of several dry dog foods after receiving complaints that dogs eating the food experience vitamin D toxicity. Testing found that samples of the dog food contained excessive, potentially toxic amounts of vitamin D. Yes, vitamin D is an essential nutrient for dogs, but very high amounts can cause serious health problems like kidney failure or death. At this time, the only pet products that have been impacted are food made for dogs. Pet owners should discontinue feeding the recalled products. Now I'll list them at the end. The FDA, they're asking veterinarians who suspect vitamin D toxicity in their patients to report them through the safety reporting portal or by calling their local FDA consumer complaints coordinators. Pet owners can also report suspect cases to the FDA, and I'll put a link to that under the podcast description below. So what are the symptoms of vitamin D toxicity? So you've got excess vitamin D in the diet can cause vomiting, loss of appetite, increased thirst, increased urination, excessive drooling, and weight loss. At toxic levels, it can lead to kidney failure and even death. It can happen pretty quick, anywhere from 8 to 48 hours after ingestion. So it's happening pretty fast. I mean, your dog eats that food, you know, a day later you're starting to see some of these serious clinical signs. And other animals, it's going to be depression, weakness, you know, they're just not eating. And then it's going to progress to vomiting, uh, the the PUPD, increased drinking, increased urination, um, you know, secondary dehydration. And then it can progress to more serious things such as dark tarry stools, uh, breathing difficulty, indicating bleeding in the gut and lungs respectively. Then secondary, you can see abnormally slow heart rate, abnormal heart rhythm, and mineralization of the soft tissues around the body. The diagnosis specifically comes from you know vitamin D levels and blood tests. And it's easy enough for your veterinarian to do that. So what do you as a pet owner need to do? First, if your dog is having symptoms of vitamin D toxicity, obviously you're gonna contact your veterinarian as soon as possible, giving a full history of the diet, etc. some of those big clinical signs. I mean, you're gonna notice it pretty quick, generally. Your dog's eating something, within 24 hours, they're starting to show signs of illness. This PUPD, uh, along with you know some of the p- suspecting that your dog has eaten one of those uh, recalled foods. Secondary, either you or through your veterinarian, you're gonna call. They can call the safety reporting portal, or I mean, you specifically can call the state FDA consumer complaint hotline. And on that, once again, I'll put a link so you know what to do and how best to call and how you can report this. The big thing is knowing what the brands are. I'll put a full link to the FDA report under here, but I'm just going to read you some of the specific brands. So the one company, Sunshine Mills, they make a food called Old Glory Hearty Turkey and Cheese Flavor Dog Food, Evolve Chicken and Rice, Puppy Dry Dog Food, Sportsman Pride, Large Breed Puppy Dry Dog Food, Triumph Chicken and Rice Recipe Dry Dog Food, A Whole Del Hayes, um, it's made of food called nature's promise chicken and brown rice dog food nature's place real country chicken and brown rice dog food kroger they make it a product called abound chicken and rice brown rice recipe dog food a company called king supers they make a product called abound chicken and brown rice recipe dog food a company called elm pet foods they make a product called elm chicken and chickpea recipe also elm canine naturals chicken recipe a company called anf incorporated they make a food called anf lemon rice dry dog food a company called Called Little, uh, it's the Orlando brand. They make a product called Orlando Grain Free Chicken and Chickpea Superfood Recipe Dog Food. Natural Life Pet Products. Uh, they make a food called Chicken and Potato Dry Dog Food. And last, 
um, one called Nutisica, and they, they make a food called chicken and chickpea dry dog food. First of all, I encourage you to look at the link, make sure that you're not feeding your dog any of those listed foods. It also has specific UPC codes, you know, the specific ones that have been recalled. It's not every you know, every type of food that that company makes, and nor even the ones that I mentioned. Then you know exactly what to feed and what not to feed. The last big thing would be, you know, just my encouragement for you to sort of rotate your dog's food, um, not just solely depend on the commercial food. You know, consider feeding some of the home diets at home that you're going to make at home. Um, consider feeding in some raw food where it's just, say for instance, it's, you know, raw frozen chicken, you're pulling it out. But at the very least, you know what you're feeding your dog as opposed to sort of that concoction that makes up the commercial food. And don't just also just sort of stick to one commercial brand. You know, likewise my, with my own dog Tula, every one or two months I'm rotating her, rotating her foods. She is not just on one specific commercial brand. The last part of today's podcast involves little pugs. They're awesome little dogs. There's a recent documentary that's come out here in Canada and in part they're this super lovable great breed. It was the first dog that you know I grew up with that my family had. It was a little pug farm dog, hard to believe. But unfortunately, the physical attributes of this international popular breed seem inseparable from the pug itself. Yet increasingly, you know, some of these traits are being called deformities. You know, as described by the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association, the CVMA, where they've said they've got deleterious inherited disorders. The flat face of the pug put pugs into groups called brachycephalic breeds. This includes bulldogs, shih tzus, boston terriers, among others. In 2016, the British Veterinary Association, they called for people to stop buying brachycephalic breeds in an effort to reduce animal suffering. In 2017, Irish vets passed a motion calling for a ban on all advertising using flat-faced animals. And snub noses, they might not only be the issue with pugs. In 2018, a Swedish study found that roughly a third of pugs can't even walk properly. In other words, what people may find cute may actually be cruel and it's a problem that we've created. Most of the breeds that are out there now are man-made, says Tim Arthur, an Ottawa-based veterinarian who sits on the CVMA Council. Initially, we created breeds of dogs because they were functional. They needed to do a job. So we built a better dog. It ran faster, hunted better, smelled better, guarded better. Nowadays, we make dogs to a degree for what they look like. Historically, you know, this was not the case. And really, if we're going to fix this, we're going to need to turn back the clock. You know, the pug dog, it's an ancient breed. You know, through countless generations of selective breeding, pugs and other brachycephalic breeds have had their upper jaw pushed backwards. This one aesthetic preference can produce a cascade of unintended side effects, compressed nasal passages and throats, deep skin folds on the face, and deformed eyelids and tear ducts. These resulting traits may result in difficulties breathing, chronic skin infections and eye problems, as well as discomfort and pain for the animals and thousands of dollars in veterinary care. One 2016 study found that almost 70% of pug dogs screened had had at least one health disorder. Now, however, that's what the breed looks like, Arthur says. So the question becomes, you know, how exaggerated do you want that look to be? That's where it goes back to breeding and selecting dogs. Um, this veterinarian, Arthur, says that a healthier pug is possible, breeding for less exaggerated traits. We might be able to keep the pug but reduce the health problems. You know, if you went back 40 years, he says, and found some pictures of pugs, you'd look at it and say, yeah, it's a pug. But when you compare it to some of the pugs today, it's not quite as buggy eyed, not quite as wrinkled, and its nose isn't as short. You know, we, we've exaggerated the features and we really need to turn the clock back. Clearly, you know, it can be done. And I concur with what he just said. Like we really do need to look at, you know, selecting for health, you know, not for this cosmetic, not 
not for a lot. Other people don't completely agree, and there's one person called Blanche Axton who runs a specific pug rescue in Toronto. And she doesn't want the conversation to be just about ethical breeding or to focus solely on pugs or other flat-faced breeds. She notes many examples of purebreds and their associated issues from epilepsy, uh, hip dysplasia, to problematic temperaments. It says anytime you shallow out the gene pool, you're going to have problems. Uh, she has a good point. You know, she th says she thinks it's an issue across the board about how and why dogs get bred. We get to the point where we just normalize it. People just accept that border collies are insane, that Australian shepherds will all be dog reactive, and that chihuahuas will all be biters. It's not okay. It shouldn't be the norm. She says that very few of the pugs she's encountered in her rescue organization have had respiratory problems. I find that hard to believe because most pugs I saw in vet practice did. She said that if you, she receives a pug rescue and believes it does not breathe well, her first step is to help make it lose weight. Obesity, she finds, is a bigger issue for the breed. Yeah, that's also a big issue and you take it away uh, some of the excess fat they're gonna breathe easier but still you're not gonna deal with that brachycephalic pushed in nose and those you know narrow narrows it just make it difficult for air to pass but what they all sort of agree on is that breeders should prioritize health and temperament over appearance and all of them including me say that purebred dogs deserve better you know breeders should dog shows shouldn't reward dogs with exaggerated traits associated with health problems advertisers shouldn't be using deformed pets as cute marketing props and buyers should research breeders for ethical and responsible practices i couldn't agree more and it really would be tragic to such an ancient wonderful breed you know they were beloved by Chinese emperors British royalty and generations of people around the world to, you know crippling health disorders that are largely avo avoidable no question they have awesome personalities and you know, this is one veterinarian says and I agree our first dog his name was Horace he was this awesome little pug so full of personality um, so easy to, to bond with and be part of her family but even our little dog Horace he had chronic eye issues as a result of just having those you know that brachycephalic breed with those eyes that were more exaggerated pushed out and unfortunately you know he died far far too young so yeah I, I hugely concur with the bulk of that story and the bulk of you know what we do different like really thinking about what's the point of having a dog in the first place we, like we want him for his personality her for her personality for you know how they contribute to your family and your house and we want them not to be you know with all these serious secondary health problems it's not fair on them it's not fair on your family um, so i'm i mean i just think as a society we really need to think about what we're valuing or not valuing and working towards that thanks so much you guys for listening to this edition of the veterinary secrets podcast i'm dr andrew jones any questions or comments you feel free to comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog you can send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. I love to hear your feedback, hear your suggestions for future episodes. And we're now going to be on a bit of a regular schedule once a week. So you can look forward to hearing me again next week. This is Dr. Jones.